Hello and welcome to episode 81 of Command Space 5x5. My name is Mike Hurley and today I have the pleasure of being joined by Mr. Lex Friedman. Hi Lex. Hi Mike, how are you? I'm very well sir, how are you? Uh, I'm sick but other than that I'm good. I'm excited to be back on your show though. Thank you for being with me even though you're a little under the weather. Uh, well, we booked this so many months ago, there was no way I was going to cancel just because of a head cold. Ugh. Head cold, schmed cold. Exactly. So Lex, what do you like to be known for these days? Uh, number one is being devilishly handsome. Mm-hmm. Uh, number two is for being delightfully hilarious. And then, I don't know, I, I do a couple things that I feel good about. I, uh, I sell podcast ads full time. So I support podcasters like yourself, not you specifically, but podcasters like you. And I, uh, I write for a couple places, including Macworld. I do some freelancing for them these days as a senior contributor. That's just like being a non-senior contributor, only older. And uh, I have a wife and three kids. I like all of them a lot, too. Good. Did that answer your question well enough? It answered it perfectly. And you do provide yes. me with moral support. So, you know, that's always good. Yeah, well, I do what I can. So since the last time that, that we had you on the show, um, your circumstances have, have changed quite significantly. You were a writer selling podcast ads and doing some podcasting on the side, but now it's flipped totally. Yes. You do more podcasts, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, you now maybe write sometimes, and you sell, as you mentioned, you sell podcast ads on you know, full time. Now I wanna we might be recapping a little bit of what we spoke about last time, but I've I think it might help frame the discussion a little bit. So what was it that made you decide you wanted to start selling podcast ads? It's <laughs> a good question. I'll say I'm as surprised as you are that it's that it's flipped and that it's my full time job now. But I uh, I launched a podcast about two years ago with Dave Whiskers called Unprofessional. And the network that we were on at the time I uh, was interested in selling ads, which I didn't even know. When we started the show, I didn't know that ads were going to be a thing for it or that there was a chance for us to make money from the show. I was just doing it for fun and fame, the way all podcasters do. Mm-hmm. And uh, then when uh, Mule Radio started attempting to sell ads into the show, it turned out that they were terrible at it. It was reasonable that they were terrible at it. They, uh, you know, It's a design studio, and they had a developer or a designer trying to sell ads, and that wasn't really scaling for them. So then Dave said, I'll try to book some sponsors myself. And uh, he had a couple of his friends who sponsored, but then he realized, you know, he really didn't have a, an affection for doing it. And I said, all right, I'll try some. And I discovered that I was pretty good at it. <laughs> um, I was, uh, th- I have no sales experience. I had no experience that was relevant really at all other than, you know, talking to people. But I just, uh, I wrote to people and said, uh, hey, do you want to sponsor this show? Here's what it costs and here's why you should do it and here's how great it's going to be. And they would write back and say, okay. And so I was doing that with enough success that then Glenn Fleischman, who had a show on the same network at the time, said, hey, do you want to sell the new disruptors as well? And I said, okay. And then after a little while, Mule said, wow, you're incredibly good at this. Your talent at selling these podcast ads for our network is unmatched. We would love to have you sell our ads too. And I said, Okay, I'll sell all of Mule Radio's ads. That's fine by me. And then suddenly I went from, you know, one show to 15 shows in a span of what seems like, you know, a few weeks. Uh, And then I had friends from outside of Mule who wanted me to help them. Marco with ATP and uh, the Boing Boing shows and then Macworld. And it just kept snowballing. And so by that point, uh, I was eventually up to about 50 shows that I was representing. And it was crazy town. Again, because I, I fell into it. I had no idea what I was doing, but I just happened to be good at it. 
Do you want me to continue the story now where how I ended up doing it as my full time job? We'll get to that in a bit. Okay. But that's that's how I got into it. I just kind of fell into it by accident because I had a show that I wanted to help sell ads for. Because I had a, a couple of questions about podlexing specifically and how you were doing it part time. So I guess first really, how did you know who to contact? Like you mentioned you just started sending some emails out, but why did you think, oh, I'll contact such and such person? Where did you start? It's a great question. Um, I I considered no advertiser unattainable, but I, I worked in two different directions. Uh, the first was, you know, especially when I was early on and selling for a handful of shows or just my own show or whatever, uh, I was just looking at the stuff that I liked. You know, so if I had an app that I used all the time, I would figure out who the developer was and email the developer. And uh, that turned out to work really well. And then I said, well, it doesn't have to be an app that I already know. I could just look at who the top grossing apps are because those people have money. <laughs> and so I did that in the Mac App Store and the iOS App Store. Um, and then it was a lot of just filling out contact forms on websites. Sometimes the websites are wonderful and they'll give you, here's the marketing address. And then other times it's just like a contact address. And the hit rate on using the contact form on websites is not great. If you go to the support rep, they may or may not have any idea who you should talk to about marketing and they may or may not have any inclination to connect you to that person anyway. But I just kept trying. I, for me, it was very easy. I did it almost exclusively over email. I had most of the people who were sending me money when I was independent did so without ever hearing my voice or certainly without seeing my face because it was pretty much all email-based. And it was just, I, I guess I had a really good pitch message. It said, Dear Anonymous, please give me money. Love, Lex. I do podcast. You like podcast. Yeah. Me podcast good. How did you, you, you mentioned 40 shows you were representing? Eventually it was up to 50. Up to 50. How did you manage to do this on the side? Now, I have, in my time, sold some ads, and it's a lot of work to do. I, uh, the answer is I did everything poorly. No, it's a good question, to be honest. I, you know, I had a day job, and that was writing for Macworld, and I have, for, for a long time, I've been in a situation where I'll have a day job and then I'll do some kind of hustling on the side to find a way to make some extra scratch with the, and I use all those terms, hustling and scratch, because I'm gangster. And mm. I would end up, you know, uh, I would always do whatever the, the side project was. I was like, okay, that'll be found money because my job is my job and then whatever I make doing whatever my side gig is, that'll be fun. And that's how I got to Macworld. I had a day job and I freelance for Macworld. Then I got to Macworld and I started doing the podcast ads on the side. And for me, it was just about, since it was all email-based, I would do it at night while uh, my wife and I had the kids in bed and it was 8 o'clock or so. And so from 8 to 11, we would watch TV and I had my laptop out and I would send potential advertisers emails and then i would do a lot of it on weekends but it was i don't know what i i kept ending up i kept ending up building myself tools to make it easier um you know where uh where federico likes to automate stuff on his computers i like to build web applications to do things for me so i just built a web app to manage all the podcast inventory and to show me which spots had been booked and then it would Eventually, I said, all right, this should also handle the invoicing. So then I built in Stripe integration, and it would tell me which spots hadn't, hadn't been paid for and all that. So I, anytime it started to be too much work, I just uh, built some more to the web app to make it be more automated and easier to manage. Look at you, smarty pants. Yeah, I'm, I'm tremendously amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so it would look like that I orchestrated you coming on this show um, at just the right time. 
Um, but as is pure magic, was the way, the way a lot of these things go. It's just so happened that in the last couple, maybe in the last week, actually, there's been quite a lot of discussion about podcast advertising focused around you. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. No, it's perfect. It's <laughs> absolutely perfect because it, it allows this to be topical. Well, nice. the, the, the story there, just so you know how that happened, was uh, Brent Simmons emailed me before he launched his new show with Chris Parrish. And he said, hey, we're doing this new show. And we already have a launch sponsor, but we're going to want you to do sponsorships, and I'll be in touch about that when the time comes. And then the show came out. And he sent another email saying, okay, I'm about to go sign up at the mid-roll to have you uh, sell my ads. And then he wrote another message saying, a minute later saying, hey, I just went to the mid-roll, and there's no way for me to sign up. How do I get my show on there? And I said, actually... Brent, you don't necessarily. You know, we have, we we're looking for shows of a certain size that are either already established or that are starring in names so big that we know they're going to get to a certain size. And I can't, I can't adequately serve the smaller shows anymore. It's not that I have forgotten the little people as much as it's just you know when we're dealing with shows like WTF with Mark Maron uh, or Comedy Bang Bang or these gigantic shows with huge numbers of listeners. Um, it's hard to court advertisers that are interested in both those and in shows that are, you know, more niche around niche, niche around, you know, 10,000 or 5,000 listeners. So this uh, prompted Brent to write a little post, um, which was focused on there being a Lex sized hole, which is quite <laughs> funny. And then Marco wrote a post um, as well. So yes. I guess I'll start. So we'll talk about the mid roll. Why does this hole in the podcast advertising space exist? Now, why is there a Lex-sized hole in the, in the podcast ads world? So Brent's thesis was, based on our email conversations, and Brent, you know, he asked if it was okay if he wrote the blog post, and I said, sure, and I gave him some more answers, and he said, do you care if I just publish this verbatim in the blog post? And I said, sure. Um, or no, I don't care. And, uh, but so since I can't serve, you know, we haven't gotten into exactly what the mid-roll was. That's my, you know, my current day job, but since we can't serve the shows that I would normally have eagerly gobbled up when I was on my own that are, you know, 5,000, 10,000, 30,000 downloads per episode, I, uh, I, uh, said to him, you know, we, there's, there's, he said, isn't there room for somebody to do what pod Lexing did? And I said, yeah, there definitely is because there's, there's the Lex sized hole is somebody who can roll up some of these smaller shows and get them the attention that they deserve. Uh, now, unsurprisingly, smaller shows aren't going to make as much money as bigger shows because they reach fewer, you know, in, in display ads, you say eyeballs. So let's go with ear holes. You reach fewer ear holes. And uh, I think that's okay. Now, Brent's contention, I think, which I share mostly, is get some small shows that are kind of thematically linked, pool them all together, and then sell them as a block. Uh, you know, most of what we do with the mid-roll is individual shows. You know, we'll do deals that span many shows, but we never sell the whole network at a time because we're going to do something like 750, 800 million downloads in 2014. Oh, it's hard to sell oh. people that whole network at once. Jeez. Yeah. I can't, so, even, can't even imagine yeah. it. <laughs> but so if you're talking about, you know, a combined pool of shows that does 50,000 downloads a week, yeah. um, that's, those are real numbers. Now, I don't think you can have like, here's a show about cooking and here's a show about rock and roll and here's a show about Nintendo and combine those um, because I, I, I don't know that one advertiser would necessarily want to be on all of those, but if they're all kind of thematically connected, if they're all basically in the tech space or the nerd space, mm. then I think you've got a shot. And then Marco uh, sort of wrote a piece too, 
you know, as I mentioned, where he was kind of talking about how difficult it can be. Um, would you attest to what Marco was saying about the, how difficult it can be to, to do all the advertiser wrangling that you need to do? I assume it is hard because you do it as a full-time job now. Um, so, yeah, he's right. And where I think, <laughs> for me, it was hard but fun. And I think that for a lot of people, when they're doing it individually for themselves, it's hard and they appreciate the money they make from it, but it's hard for it always to feel worth it. It's like what, they, what Marco wants to do is work on his apps and make ATP. And you know, I think that's true for a lot of podcasters. They want to do whatever their day job is. They want to work on their podcast. They want to kind of show up and record. And that's basically it. Um, what I found was that I kind of liked it. For me, it was sort of like playing a game. And I would win money. <laughs> and winning money instead of winning points was exciting to me. Uh, every time somebody said yes, I would do like a little victory dance. So I think that where many people find it just a chore and there's a churn, especially if you're doing it one-off, it's harder to motivate yourself to say, I'm going to build a whole set of tools to do this. But the best thing that happened to me was more people saying, we want you to sell ads for us because then I had to automate some stuff. I had to build systems so that it was, you know, that the grunt work was less grunty. And the part of just, you know, talking to people all day and talking to their podcast, that's fun. Why did you decide to move to the mid-roll? It's a really good question. Um, the, uh, the short answer is, well, no, I don't do short answers. The long answer is this. I loved Macworld. I think it was the best job I've ever had. Uh, and I was enjoying doing the podcast stuff on the side. A couple of weeks before I left, I had my employee review with the boss and Dan Miller. And he said, our only concern about you, Lex, you're doing great. Our only concern is you're going to leave us and uh, become a full-time podcast mogul. And I said, well, you don't have to worry about that. I don't want to, I, I like having a steady salary. I don't want to live entirely on my own self-earned commissions. I like having insurance that's covered by work. Uh, it's not going to happen. And then around the same time, I, uh, I heard from the mid-roll. <laughs> <laughs> The like after that conversation, ten minutes and, uh, later, you go. Cool. Yeah, it was it was literally the next day, and wow, the um, the mid roll had the the guy who runs the mid roll had heard of me a couple times, a couple different ways. He'd heard about me from Dan Benjamin, actually. He'd heard about me from some of the folks at Squarespace. He had heard about me uh, from some because he was trying to build a team. He was doing the mid roll kind of in a not identical but similar path to how I had started doing podlexing. And he was trying to staff up and bring in a COO. And the COO, one of the COO candidates he interviewed uh, was a longtime friend of mine who knew what I did. So he had heard my name a few times. And uh, he actually wrote into ATP at one point and said, hey, I'd love to sell your ads. And Marco wrote back and said, actually, we've already got a guy. His name is Lex Friedman. He's doing great. It's like, this Lex guy? <laughs> yeah. And then <laughs> I, I wrote to one of Jeff's shows. And I said, hey, I'd love to help you with your ads. And Jeff writes back. Jeff is the CEO of the mid-roll. And he says, uh, actually, I handle all these, but we should talk. And for a while, there was some, you know, not fraught negotiation, but intense negotiation about, well, I can help sell into your shows and you'll help sell into my shows. And, you know, we'll, uh, but how, how do you make it work? Because I wanted to own the advertiser relationship for the ads I sold and he wanted to own the advertiser relationship, which is all reasonable. Like, and uh, so the, we eventually figured out the easiest way for us to work together would be literally to work together. And so I joined up. Do you think that there is an opportunity for somebody to take your place with Podlexing? Well, I can never be replaced, Mike. Well, yes, uh, you're one in a million. You're a snowflake. 
I can't laugh because then I choke. The uh, I think there's probably room for multiple people to do what I did. Um, and I think that there's there's room for lots of people to be successful. Right now we're in a phase where advertisers, there's the mid-roll probably is working with about 80 to 100 advertisers right now, uh, which is a great number. But then you're also like, geez, it's only 80 to 100 advertisers that are supporting this entire industry right now. Um, you know, it's better than 20, which it was maybe six months ago or 10 months ago. And I think that, you know, several things have to happen in tandem. More advertisers have to realize that they're missing out and that this is a good space for them to be in. And I think that's happening. And the advertisers who are there, who are happily there, are going to, you know, as long as it works. The, the great thing about advertising is if you make more money than it costs to run the spot, you have an infinite budget for ads, basically. And uh, so I think that, you know, I, I can't imagine there's going to be dozens of people who want to sprout up and independently manage 50-something shows because that was crazy in retrospect. But it wouldn't surprise me at all to see a few, I don't know, co-ops sprout up where it's, you know, a few, maybe a dozen or even half a dozen shows linked together that pooled up have some decent numbers and that different people run them. I think it's interesting because I think there seems to be a tendency these days that you have to start a podcast network, otherwise you won't make any money. Um, so there are maybe more podcast networks appearing than is necessary, when yeah. really the, the reason that people that some people are starting them, not everybody, is that they want to be able to sell ads, and it is easier to sell ads in aggregate, you know, because your numbers yeah. are always bigger. Um, that was how I did it when I was on my own at 70 decibels. I sold all the shows together um, right. because it allowed me to go to advertisers of a larger number. And I think that it would maybe help take away some of the stress from people if they were able to join together. Um, so I think that there is definitely an opportunity for it. And I, go on, Lex. I was just going to say, I think there's uh, certainly, you know, the mid-roll ends up working with a lot of shows that are just independent. You know, Mark Marin is one guy and it's just his show and we sell that one exclusively and then there's networks that we work with too the networks that i think are successful and the networks that are worth making are ones that do have some kind of connection thematic or otherwise uh on five by five frankly the probably the biggest piece of the connection is dan because he's on so many of the shows and his voice infuses i think to a degree even shows he's not on i would like to Once, point out that i am on more shows than dan but but that's fine lex i understand I'm a terrible person. I want to point that out. But it's um, it's a really, you know, but there, you know, there's at least even on, you know, so I would say that, but the vibe is across the network that, you know, you or Dan are on yeah. all these shows and it makes, it gives the shows a connected feel. They I feel like they're all pulled agree. together where there are some other networks where it's just kind of like, hey, we've slapped together all these different things. Was Dan, Dan Benjamin, he set a style. And the majority of my shows fit that style. Um, and so that that's why the shows that I do, I feel, have a, a them thematic fit into 5x5. Many of them are two people. And there's sort of the host, which is me, and the, the, the personality. Or they're small panel shows or an interview show. Yeah, that, they, that fits. All of the shows that I do, doing before 5x5, were always in that model, which is why we kind of, I hope, fit in so nicely. Yep. Um, I want to take a quick break because I have ads that, that I would like to talk about, of course. Excellent. Uh, but it would be remiss of me not to mention something, as I am part of 5x5. Five five. Um, Dan and Hattie have started a new venture called Archer Avenue, um, which is a new sort of uh, company in this space. And 
I'll put a link to them in the show notes, which are at 5x5.tv slash cmdspace slash 81. And Archer Avenue sell all of the um, podcast advertising for 5x5 and a couple of other smaller networks and some independent shows too. So if you are interested, you can go over to Archer Avenue and send a note over to Dan and Hattie and see if you're a right fit for the advertising co-op that's been started there. So It's worth mentioning, I think. So I want to take a quick moment to thank our friends over at Squarespace. And when you talk about podcast advertising, these are the guys. They, they, they support everyone. They're a great boon to the community, and I want to tell you about why they are so awesome. So Squarespace, they are the only one platform that makes it easy to create your own website. For a free trial and 10% off, you want to go to squarespace.com and use the offer code TALLYHO1. Let me tell you why Squarespace is so amazing. They're always doing great work to make sure that their platform is being constantly updated and refined with new features. They're adding new stuff all the time. Like if you go over to their blog, which is at blog.squarespace.com, you can see things that they've done in the last few days even, where they've added new blocks, which they call them, to their layout engine page building systems. It is the little types of content or media that you can add to your site that you're able to drag and drop around the pages. They've added in some really cool new stuff there. They have some beautiful new templates as well. They added another one, as I say, this week, a new business one, which has loads of lovely imagery. And they're always doing great stuff to make sure that their support is beefed up. Again, in the last couple of weeks, they've they've overhauled their support system to make it even more amazing for you. They have really beautiful templates that you can start with, as I mentioned, and they have loads of fantastic style options. So you can adjust, craft, and really create your own space online. They have Squarespace sites don't look like they've come out of a template bank somewhere you have some real great templates that you can start with but they're all really clean and really great looking they all feature responsive web design but you have the ability to go in and tweak some of the fonts and the colors and the layout of the site to fit your own style and personality if you need any help over at squarespace even though it is so amazing and easy to use they have over 70 employees that are dedicated on to support on their customer care team who are all based in new york city Squarespace have some brand new iOS apps as well. They have Squarespace Blog, which lets you easily draft, post, and schedule posts for your website, as well as monitor and manage comments. And you can also download Squarespace Metrics, which allows you to monitor website analytics, and it gives you projections and charts for all of that interesting KPI stuff too. As I said earlier, you can try out Squarespace for free. You don't need any credit card to do this. And if you decide to purchase, it starts at just $8 a month and includes a domain name, for free if you sign up for a year or more. And make sure that you get 10% off and support this show by using the offer code TALLYHO1, that's T-A-L-L-Y-H-O and the number one. So thank you so much to Squarespace for their continued support of Command Space and 5x5. You know, I uh, I have heard many, many Squarespace reads in my day, as you might imagine. Mm. And that one was great. That was excellent. Thank you, sir. You know, the only thing you missed. What did I miss? You should uh, You should remind your listeners to check out Squarespace's Super Bowl ad. Because they're pretty excited about it. I will put it in the show notes. Yeah, it's in, I, is the ad out yet? Because I, I see yeah. it's like a teaser. I saw. A couple well, of days they've ago. now actually released the full ad too. Well, I so haven't seen it's it out myself. there. It's out there. It's out there on the internet, it's and it's all about the internet, so it's worth watching on I, the internet. I don't know whether to be scared or not about the fact, or or how to exactly feel that a, a podcast, a company that sponsors my podcast, has an ad in the Super Bowl. It's it's amazing. It's it's kind of a great but terrifying feeling. I'll tell you the truth. You know, I was talking to Marco about it, and I mean, as you might imagine, I talk to Squarespace all the time. Mm-hmm. But I was talking to Marco, and I'm like, man, they really do 
obviously, I don't think I'm revealing any secrets today. The Squarespace puts a lot of money and energy into podcast advertising. How can they afford it? How does it work? And when what's brilliant about the business model is that it's very cost-effective for, we'll just continue the sponsor read for the rest of the show, it's very cost-effective for customers. It's a great price point and it's totally affordable. But their costs are actually really I think very manageable for most accounts. It's one of those things like online backup where most of the customers use very little and it's only a few customers who use a lot. And I think that's probably true for Squarespace too. So they can they can afford to spend a lot to gain customers because most customers probably have a very good profitability window for Squarespace. So it's really smart. You know all the business, don't you? I really know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Shh. Don't say that out loud. They'll be after you. So let's I have to tell you, I'm, so, I, I'm, I'm going to interrupt you even before you ask your next question. When you say that I shouldn't admit that I know nothing, it's to me it's my best quality in terms of ad sales. Because I have no ad sales training, uh, I don't know about being slimy and sneaky. My mm-hmm. technique is always just to be totally open and honest and forthright with people and just do my best and answer their questions as you know, openly as possible. And it seems to work. I, uh, I don't know why. But I'm okay with not knowing why. It works for you, Lex. Yeah. What does your average day look like now you're working at the mid-roll? On my, on my calendar, in the calendar app, it looks like a wall of orange because my work calendar is highlighted in orange and it's just a wall of orange every day. The truth is, it's a lot of phone calls. And I think if I probably didn't realize how many phone calls it was before I took the job. It's not a problem of the job or anything. It's just a factor of the job. But uh, you know, my typical day is going to be calls with new potential advertisers, calls with existing advertisers, and then also just figuring out plans, proposals. And I have a team that I work with. I have some other salespeople. I have some sales support staff who can help me assemble proposals. So if I negotiate with client X and they say, we want to do, you know, we want to reach this, these kinds of audiences and we have this budget, then I can go and say, put them on these shows around this time frame and then send me the proposal. So it's, I can save time by not doing some of that because I have staff who can do that part for me. Uh, but so it's a lot of phone and as you'd expect with any internet-based job, a lot of email and IM and that sort of thing. But it's, the truth is I have a lot of similar conversations a lot of the time because I'm talking to people, I'm giving the pitch about what podcasts are <laughs> a lot oh, yeah, and yeah. why you should do podcast advertising. But where it's especially fun is when you're coming up with some creative solutions for advertisers. I, this is totally hokey and ridiculous, but what I like about podcast advertising is that I think it works for, I like the fact that I can help podcasters make money because I think it's nice to help creative people make money for their creative stuff. I like the fact that uh, the ads seem to work for advertisers, that the advertisers you know, come back again and again because the ads really genuinely work. So it's nice that you're selling something that's not ridiculous. And then I like that you know, because we can be choosy at the mid-roll with what advertisers are saying yes to, I hear all the time from listeners who are saying, wow, I'm so glad I heard that spot because now I just signed up for thing X. And so I like that the listeners like the ads too. So uh, it's, it's basically having conversations about those things with advertisers all day long. <laughs> and then my, I would say that the, the part that mixes up my day each day is every once in a while we have people who want to do custom things. So I don't want just just a pre-roll or just a mid-roll. I want to do... I want to do a custom segment or I want to put some talent on this show or have a contest or whatever. And that, figuring out those things and getting to flex that creative muscle is a lot of fun too. I have to explain to people quite a lot what podcasting is. Yeah. Um, I would really love to hear how you explain it because I've not found a good way to do that yet. 
you're gonna steal all my business, man. No, it's uh, I, <laughs> I, I basically describe it as on-demand talk radio, uh, which I don't think is a perfect descriptor, but at least gets the advertising people who don't yet know what it is to understand what I'm basically talking about. Uh, so on-demand talk radio covering whatever topic, and you choose which shows you're going to listen to. And to me, you know, the great advantage for advertisers, uh, I guess, is twofold. One, there's no real sense of channel surfing. When that Squarespace read came up, people couldn't say, well, he's doing a Squarespace ad read, so I'm going to skip over to you know the talk show now. Um, and there's no... Uh, I mean, there's obviously there's podcast apps that have the 30-second skip buttons and whatnot, but I think that most of the time, since the ads are in the host's voice, they have a sort of endorsement-like quality. If the host genuinely feels good about the product or service they're promoting, the listeners are interested. And so, I don't know. I, what I end up describing is, you know, it's on-demand talk radio. It's shows that they choose, and then it's, you know, it's it's a very intimate form of communication because you're, you're hearing this person week in and week out. A lot of times it's on headphones, so they're right inside your head. And uh, that, you know, it's kind of a, a very effective and different form of entertainment. That's perfect. No, I hope I you're can, taking notes. Well, I can, ex- it's, it's mainly to explain to people I meet, like, what do you do? Yeah. It's like, well, by day I'm a marketer, but by night I'm a podcaster. So what is that? <laughs> uh, well, it's like I talk a, into a mic and people listen. And they're like, the iTunes thing? I'm like, well, not really. Uh, <laughs> the best is when we're working with these gigantic agencies. So you're not working with a direct advertiser. You're going through the agency because it's like a Hollywood thing, let's say. Or you know, a, a, a national company. Let's say it's Coca-Cola because it wasn't Coca-Cola, so I can blame them instead. But So I was talking to a company that wasn't Coca-Cola, but close enough. And <laughs> we've been dealing with it. Not Pepsi either. It wasn't even a soda. It was a beer. I'll even say that. So I'm talking to this beer company, Beer Coke. And they, we've been working with them for months and months and working on proposals and going back and forth and you know, introducing them to some of the hosts because they were going to spend a lot. And I think they probably still will, and although it hasn't happened yet. But so months into this process and this courtship, we get on a call with some new people from the agency. And they've been briefed on everything we've talked about to date. And they lead out the call and say, okay, the first thing I need to clarify, where iTunes does the ad appear hmm. <laughs> those are the harder moments I would yeah. say of my work day yeah <laughs> Ooh, that's rough I don't even know how you answer that without being like um hmm. <laughs> hey smart guy so how much time do you actually spend in your day talking to sponsors you mentioned you have phone calls is that the majority of your day now um I guess it varies a bit by day uh, today, in fact, as we record these words, has been a very busy day of calls. I always like it when I see I have a bunch of calls on my calendar. I mean, I end up having to block out lunch sometimes because I won't get to eat. But on days with lots of calls, it generally means that you know you're going to convert lots of business. But there's, you know, a typical day is probably half filled with calls, and then the rest is emails and proposals and figuring out new leads. And then I also have to take some time to just do some basic sales strategy because. You know, I'm managing a sales team. I'm looking to grow my sales team. Uh, I need to hire some more salespeople, and I'm probably going to post job listings, uh, you know, before the first week of February is out. And uh, so some of it is figuring out, you know, how are we going to divide, and which shows are we underserving, and how can we get some of these shows to do better, and that kind of thing. So it's, I would say it's probably a, a typical day, which today was not, is half phone calls, and then the other half is filled up with emails and strategy and management and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to ask you, this is a, a quite a difficult question, I think. 
Um, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges that face independent content creators when it comes to monetization? Or I, d I put an extra Z in there, monetization. Um, and what I mean by that is, do you think it's harder to sell ads or do you think it's harder to, to make sure that your content fits? So making yourself advertiser friendly, as in, you know, not cursing, not saying really controversial things. Do you think that that is a bigger issue or do you think it's, you know, trying to find uh, advertisers that are willing to, to, to take you on no matter what type of content you want to make? I think it's, well, I honestly, I don't think actually that some of the factors you mentioned are are legitimate ones to worry about in terms of language. We, at this point, we have the advertisers we work with know that many of the shows we sell do. We sell the most popular show we sell is WTF, and they know what that stands for. Uh, so the language factor isn't one for us. Um, I think it's more about making sure your show is high quality, which is vague and broad and knowingly so. So it's, you know, does it sound okay? If it sounds like you recorded it using your iPhone's microphone, people aren't going to want to listen and so the advertisers aren't going to be on the show. If it sounds slapped together and it's totally manic, again, people aren't going to listen and so advertisers aren't going to be on your show. So the number one thing I think to attract advertisers is to have a show that people want to listen to and that people do in fact listen to. Um, overall, I th I'd say it's the harder part is finding advertisers who are a good fit for your show but I think as long as you have a good show and that show can attract listeners, they should be able to attract advertisers too. In that vein, um, I, I quite frequently have people ask me for advice on how they can attract advertisers and sponsors. Is there any magic formula? Or is there any top tip that you would give someone on how they can try and attract or, or, or sort of uh, track down a sponsor? I wish there were. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I don't want to repeat myself too much, but I think that for me, the the number one way to to convert advertisers, I guess, is in my experience at least, just honesty. Not getting yourself trapped in tricking. Like, you know, there's there's this mentality of, well, I'm talking to you know Coca Cola. The prices for you are eight million dollars, and now I'm talking to Mom and Pop R Us, and so the price for you is twelve dollars. Uh, then you have to keep straight of who you told what to. So. You know, with me, I keep the pricing consistent regardless of how big your wallet is. And I don't tell you, oh, you better act quickly because another guy wants this spot unless another guy does want that spot. Uh, it's just, I find that part easier. But in terms of figuring out what advertisers fit or, you know, who to talk to or how to win them, uh, that part's definitely more art than science, a cliche I loathe. But it's true in this case, and I think you really just have to feel your way through it. For me, I look sometimes I look at who's advertising to me because I think I'm right smack dab in the podcaster demographic as a person who likes podcasts in general, which is why I do what I do. Uh, so people who are trying to reach me through other mediums, uh, I recognize, well, they should probably be on podcasts too if they want to reach people like me because people like me listen to podcasts. I think another question that I get maybe even more than this is how do you know what to charge? Is that there isn't? I don't actually think there is a magic formula for this. So, what do you think that people should do in this regard? It's a, a very hard question. Yeah. The at the mid roll, most of our shows use some standard CPMs, and you know, so we have a rate for the mid roll, a rate for the pre roll, and a rate for the post roll, and 
we so based on the size of the show, we just use the mid the uh, the CPM as our multiplier, and that's what the price is. Then not every show uses those standards, though. Show like we find that certain genres of show can command higher rates, so they don't necessarily. It's we kind of back into the CPM there. We know that we're going to charge you know three thousand dollars per spot on this show, and so we sort of back out what the CM would be for there. Um, Obviously, what you want to charge is the the best rate that you can get for the show that people are going to want to buy it. If you say, "Wow, I can charge ten thousand uh, dollars a week for this show, and uh, I'll get three sponsors a year," that's one approach. But if you can charge five hundred dollars per spot and get fifty sponsors a year, that might be a better choice. I like that. So I want to take one more quick break. I have a few more things that I want to talk to you about today before I let you go, Lex. If that's okay. Absolutely. So our second sponsor for this week is a new sponsor for Command Space, and that is New Relic. If you've got a web or mobile application, you need to know about New Relic. New Relic is a developer's best friend because it's easy to use analytics dashboards that give developers powerful code-level visibility into real-time performance of their applications. This means you can spot bugs, see bottlenecks, and fix problems fast before they ever affect your user. Thanks to New Relic, you no longer have to ship an app to production and then helplessly wait around, hoping for the best until negative app reviews and tweets start to pour in. New Relic empowers software engineers by showing them what's working and what isn't, all in real time. The way it works is very straightforward. New Relic gives developers a lightweight agent that, you're, that you unpackage into your production-level applications. This agent sits quietly and securely in the background, gathering real-time metrics across geographies, devices, platforms, all the way down to end-user level, and then displays all that data in real-time graphs so that coders have total visibility into the performance of their web and mobile applications. Sounds great, right? So go and check out New Relic by visiting this URL. Now, listen up, guys, because they're going to test you here. It's newrelic.com forward slash command space, but it's all spelled out. So forward slash C-O-M-M-A-N-D-S-P-A-C-E. So newrelic.com forward slash command space, or just go to the show notes of today's episode. The link will be there. So you can learn more. And if you use the offer code CMD plus S-P-A-C-E, so how the show is written, so that's CMD, the plus sign, S-P-A-C-E, and take advantage of a special 30-day extended free pro trial. And this is available exclusively to all listeners of Command Space if you go to that URL and use that code. So thank you so much for New Relic for sponsoring. Build better performing apps, get deeper insights, spot bottlenecks quickly, and improve performance with New Relic. So thank you I notice you voice the forward slash. Is that... Uh... Is it just ingrained in your brain and mouth to say it that way? I always just say slash, but you said forward slash. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I think it was, there was a TV show when I was a kid. It was a Saturday morning TV show. And they used to do um, kind of feedback and, and you could send in pictures or whatever or artwork. It was like a kid's morning TV show. Um, and they embraced the web as a way to submit this stuff. I think the show was called SMTV Live. And, and when they used to, to read out the URL, they would always say forward slash and do like this big sort of stupid gesture with their arms to show a forward slash because that was when nice. it mattered. Like this was like in the 90s or something. So I think since then it's just been ingrained that that is a forward slash. Wow. That's a really, that's a great answer. That's, that's a very specific answer. <laughs> so like you mentioned that you write um, and that sometimes you flex your creative muscles. 
Um, so do you write the ad scripts that go onto the shows or do advertisers provide them? Is there a mix there? I don't write any. Uh, there is a mix. I encourage advertisers to send me uh, talking points so that the hosts can uh, you know, ad lib a little bit around them. I think I like the way that the natural reads out and they can mix in a little bit of their own freewheeling talking. And I give them, you know, absolutely permission. If they want to send her a script to be read verbatim instead, I have no problem with that. But I don't know. Uh, you do a great job. Your reads, uh, it's hard for me to know when you're going off script and when you're on script. Maybe you're on script the whole time, but they're live and vibrant. But sometimes, especially, I guess, surprisingly with the uh, comedians I know, um, there's this uh, there's this tone they take on. That, not that they're doing a a bad read or an unenthusiastic read, but just they're they're on autopilot. They're reading the script, and it doesn't have the punch that it would have if they were ad libbing. So I prefer to get talking points and let the host vamp around them. That said, we also have people on staff who help for some of the shows turn talking points into a script. But it's hosts, it's uh, it's staffers who are very familiar with the hosts and know the host's voice and try to shape it that way. Um, but I, uh, I don't dally in that stuff. Really, I spend, I, I devote some energy at work to trying to make sure that I can spend as much time doing sales stuff as possible and whatever I can offshore that's outside of sales, have somebody else do. Now, the reads obviously are super important. You want them to sound really good um, and be effective. And if, if somebody comes in and sends talking points, then I think, you know, you're giving away a free car, but you're not leading with a free car. You bury it at the end of the, the spot. I'll mention to them, hey, maybe we should move the free car thing up sooner. But uh, that's, that's about the extent of my own involvement. You don't just sell podcast ads and write for Macworld. You are a podcaster yourself. This is true. Now, since the last time you, you, you mentioned Unprofessional earlier, you have departed Unprofessional. In, I think it was, some refer to it as the St. Valentine's Day Massacre of, of 2013, but we don't need to yeah. go into that right now. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a pummeling. Dave just said, you know what, I'm done with you. Get off this show. You're out. Don't ever speak to me again. That's right. I think that was how that went. The best part is people kind of assume that every podcast change has to be mired in controversy. And in this case, that really was not the case. I think I've <laughs> um, worked People this want out. there to be a sweet story. I think I've worked it out why okay. people think like this. And I don't think it's just because of Dan Benjamin and John Gruber. Okay. And I think there's a reason that people felt agreed when that happened. The same way as I've had it happen to me. And obviously without so many fireworks when I've ended a show. Every podcast seems like a friendship. And when you listen, you can feel like if there's a, a weekly show between two people, three people, they seem like the best of friends because in a lot of times they actually are very, very close friends, if not the best. And as a listener, you're kind of in on that friendship. So when it ends, it feels like a friendship's ended, mm -hmm. which is a lot more upsetting. And there tends to be a reason for more than a professional relationship ending. Or an unprofessional relationship. Or an unprofessional relationship. Oh, nice. Look at that. This is why you're in, you're in sales. Yeah. Uh, we scripted that moment. <laughs> Go back to line four, please. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that's, that's what it is. I think it's simply because people feel like there had to have been an argument because these friends don't talk every week now. That's, that's a pretty good theory. And I think it's, you know, it's the same way that you care about 
well, it's similar to how you care about if two characters on TV are going to stay a couple or not because you just they're they're in your home, you're witness to it, even if it's fake, you know, you're with them all the time and you feel it. So I think you're right. I think there's something to that. But uh, my relationship with Dave is great, just in case anybody's wondering. Uh, I felt like I I gave all I could give to Unprofessional. I didn't want to I didn't want to repeat myself there or be a drag on the show. And so what I said to Dave was, you know, what I initially said to him was, I think maybe we should sunset the show. And he said, actually, I really like doing it. Yeah. Uh, maybe we should keep doing it. Or I'd like to keep doing a show similar. So do you mind if I, that's, he probably said it with better grammar, but he said, you know, do you mind if I, if I keep the conceit and try to do a, a similar show? And I said, you can keep the show, like do the same show if you want, keep the name and bring in somebody new, uh, which is exactly what he did with, uh, with Jamie. And, I think it's great. It's weird to listen to now. It's totally a trip to hear unprofessional and I'm not on it. But I think that it worked out really well for the show in that is a whole – It's it, it, but you add Jamie Newberry and you take away me, it's going to be a different show. And that's kind of exactly what I was saying it needed. It feels like it has a different creative direction. Yeah, it, it definitely does. Which And I've been enjoying it still because I, I loved unprofessional. So I was worried. Oh, thank that, you. That it would change, but uh, I, I continue to love it. Dave, Dave, and Jamie are doing a great job. But where one podcast door closed, um, a revolving door of podcasts opened. <laughs> Three opened. It's true. <laughs> what are your shows now? What do you do? So uh, there's one show. You said this is episode number eighty-one. Is that what you said? Uh huh. So there's one show where I'll catch up to you much quicker than you'd think. I'm already at episode. 24 uh, and that's a daily podcast I do and it's called Your Daily Lex because I'm very creative uh, it's about five minutes a day sometimes a little bit longer sometimes a little bit shorter but I'm, I'm aiming for five minutes and it's just talking about whatever the heck I want you think it's hard to explain podcasting it's super hard for me to explain to people who don't listen what Your Daily Lex is because I don't know it's, yeah. it's whatever I'm thinking about that day I'm going to spend five minutes talking about it and then hopefully people will listen to it and uh, I really am enjoying that one I do it every weekday and uh i don't know it's fun so that's one number two is uh turning this car around which i co-host with john armstrong and john moltz and it's about fatherhood and uh parenting in general i guess one and of the cardinal sins of podcast discussion oh yeah never talk about children and religion apparently mm, so we're we're violating one of those oh and politics that's that's what people understand. But I guess if you have a show that's dedicated to those things, then you're okay. People right. get upset when, you know, if we started talking about religion right now, people would be upset with us, I think. It's weird, though. Yeah, you're not wrong. Um, I, I haven't heard that as much about uh, children, though, but I'll take your word for it. Um, <laughs> but so it's, uh, but yeah, that show's a lot of fun because those two guys are both very fun and funny. Yeah. And John Armstrong has two daughters. John Moltz has one son and I have one of I have the same number of kids as them total and the same gender <laughs> breakdown. Um, but so that shows a lot of fun and we're doing that one independently. And then my third and final podcast is I do a show called Not Playing with Dan Morin of Macworld. Uh, the show is distributed by Boing Boing. And uh, both Dan and I are, well, really from the incomparable, uh, I became known as having not seen many films that people expect you to have seen. Lex hasn't uh, the, seen it, right? Exactly. That was the, the hashtag and the joke, Lex hasn't seen it, about many, many things. I've seen four-sixths of the Star Wars canon, so that's pretty good. And I decided I was going to turn it into a podcast. So at first I was thinking I was going to do a show called Lex Hasn't Seen It, and I asked Dan if he would be on the first episode to talk about a movie. 
And he said, actually, I haven't seen that movie either, and I haven't seen many other movies, and it's just like my dirty little secret that nobody knows. I, too, am, have these giant gaps in my pop culture knowledge. So it turned into Not Playing with Lex and Dan, where each week we watch a movie together that one or both of us hasn't seen. And uh, there's two versions of each episode. You can get the, the capsule version, where it's just before we watch the movie, what we think about it or what we think we know, and then afterwards what our take was. And uh, that's like 20 or 30 minutes. Or if you are super dedicated, you can download a full-length commentary track that syncs up with the movie so that you can watch the movie as we watch it for the first time. That's but insane. I'm, That's amazing and insane. I'm so grateful for this podcast, though, because now I've seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, yeah. Die Hard, Beverly Hills Cop, uh, Field of Dreams, all these movies that I had never seen. It's working. Yeah. And uh, there's another one that we're, we're taping an episode of that show. Taping. We're recording an episode of that show tonight. And I don't yet know what I will be seeing for the first time. Dan hasn't told me. So the, the recording of the show, I assume, is like three hours or something. It, it is a big commitment. It's, it's my evening. When we do that show, it's like a couple hours. What else is in the works, Lex? What have you got? What are you working on? No more podcasts right now. I think I'm going to keep it at three. Um, and I don't know what else is next. I know I want to – I have a couple humor books that I've published that publishers were nice enough to pay me money to publish and then people bought, which was all great. And I have an idea for a third book that I think about uh, every Christmas when I fill up everybody's Twitter timeline with Christmas carols set to – or with, with songs about Chinese food set to the tunes of Christmas carols. And I feel like I could really do a good job with a Jew's Guide to Understanding Christians and Christmas. So that's, that's an idea I've been kicking around. Mr. Friedman, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show again. Where can people go to keep up with what you're doing? I guess the best place is LexFriedman.com. It should link you to everything else I do. And if you want to check out the Daily Lex show, your Daily Lex, you go to Daily.LexFriedman.com. And there I am. Amazing stuff. If you would like to find the links to all of the stuff we've spoken about today, including those places where you can find Lex, then you want to go to 5x5.tv slash cmdspace slash 81. My name is Mike Hurley. I am at imike, I-M-Y-K-E, and I'll be back again next week. Thanks so much to Lex, and thanks so much to you for listening to this week's episode of Command Space. Until then, bye-bye.